computer. This is data. I'm an android. I'm a... basketball? I was processing all of the information. Processing. One of those idiots who believe in analytics. Rangers pick basketball. Analytics was crap. Does not compute. Just because you got good stats doesn't mean you're a good team. <laughs> Hello and welcome back to the Lakers Exceptionalism Podcast. My name is Tom Z, joined by my man Tim, aka Cranjus McBasketball, founder, creator of this awesome spreadsheet on B-Ball Index that we've been going through these player profiles. We are finishing up the roster here in our part two, Tim. So let's dive right in. I want to try and get like Schroeder and Harold, the, the LeBron and, and AD treatment, if you will, is, you know, the, you know, three and four most important guys maybe in uh, Lakers pursuit of a repeat championship. So getting into Schroeder, he's actually more slated as the shooting guard on offense and the point guard on defense uh, with like a slasher offensive archetype and a point of attack defender. Some of the top talent areas are for finishing, uh, one-on-one, playmaking, uh, and off-ball movement. His highest uh, highlighted stats among his strengths are percentage of uh, rim shots unassisted. Sounds about right. Uh, his cut field goal percentage, his ISO foul drawn rate. Uh, it's all this is lining up for me in what I see with what Truders providing value to the Lakers. So uh, it. Looking at his his usage, it's in the upper percentile of the league in every category. You know, when it's not LeBron on the court, it's generally Schroeder kind of running the offense. So we saw how much we missed him in those games, Tim. But what stands out to you in some of his offensive data that uh, might be something to keep an eye on? Yeah, so I think you called out a lot of the big points and he's been kind of who who he was advertised to be in different ways. He has really been a jolt to the offense at different points in time as a pick and roll scorer, as someone who, if he has a mismatch or running up a transition and somebody, I don't know, it, it doesn't seem to matter who's in front of him at times. He'll just be able to blow by guys with his in and out hesitation, dribble, dribbling down the sideline, attacking dude's baseline. Um, just his ability to get to the rim has been really, really helpful and, you know, he has his own limitations as a playmaker in certain ways, but he is a playmaker. And he, just kind of like how Rondo was last season, is strong enough in the couple key skill sets that he has on a roster that is just very, very lacking in a couple areas. We do not have guys that can like dribble the ball proficiently. Um, we don't have a lot of playmakers on this team at like the guard and wing positions. So when he's out it really drops the capability of this team offensively in a way that in for other players, it may not have as much of an impact. Um, so th- that has been really interesting to see. And we've kind of seen the team struggle because of that. And in a way he's more valuable on this Lakers team than maybe he would be on another team, just given the specific skill sets and styles available. He's really impressed me in terms of just that quick twitch that he has attacking 1v1, uh, getting to the rim. He struggled a little bit finishing at the rim, but he's gotten there a ton, and that has a ton of value, especially when he's playing with guys like Kuzma and Harrell that are going to beat you up on the boards. Um, That's been really impressive. Defensively, he's gotten a ton of credit, and uh, people love his point of attack defense. He's been 
that guy. That's been his defensive role. And I think he's done a pretty good job in it from a defensive uh, metric standpoint. Uh, it's It's been good. It hasn't been as elite as you like to see the team talk him up to be, but he's winning loose balls. He's getting steals. He's getting deflections. Um, he's even rebounding pretty well defensively. So I think on both ends, he's had a really strong impact on this team and has been someone that you really need to have there out on the court. Um, maybe not at like all times and we can work with lineups without him, but he needs to be part of the rotation, needs to be healthy, needs to be out of COVID protocols for this team to have success offensively. Yeah, you, you mentioned his one-on-one finishing ability, um, getting you know 1.8 one-on-one possession, total isolations per 75 possessions. Uh, it's 62nd percentile, so not super high. You know, that's probably a product of just not playing, you know, in a lineup without LeBron James very often, but he's got a good ISO impact. He's he's like we said at the top, like drawing fouls in isolation, but his turnover rate is is a D grade and it's 16% of the time he's turning it over, which feels right. He can play out of control and force things and, and there's still growth there, but, and to see Tim, there's, there's a lot of um, nuance in his finishing data too, which goes hand in hand with this, where he's getting to the basket a lot, you know, 13.7 adjusted drives for 75 possessions, 92nd percentile. And like you said, finishing at rim rating is eight percentile which isn't very much an f uh you know he's he's getting there and he's he's just can't finish we brought that up quite a bit throughout the season and it's actually more um imbalanced i think in the data than i expected it to be I, like if you told me he was an f finish at rim rating i i think that would i would maybe argue is d but i don't know what he, you know like there's there's nuance here and his drive and pass out rates good you know he does turn over like i mentioned so he's doing stuff he's getting the ball moving and trying to like this pressure in the rim rate is is awesome like that i don't know it's it's mostly good and he's in the upper percentile it's just actually scoring sometimes is uh is the weakness for him yeah and and it's just kind of like with Kuzma on the last pod where we talked about like the putbacks and the cuts where even if you're underperforming, it's going to be a, a pretty high rate because of the just where you're shooting the ball from. So I think the fact that shooter is getting to the rim at the rate that he does, that's the really key piece of it because that's what breaks down the defense. That's what gets other guys good shots. That's what getting that's what's getting him really high quality looks at the rim. Even if he's underperforming a little bit um, or, or a lot as this data is saying, he's taking really tough shots. I, I haven't checked to see what it is today because the numbers change every day. But um, when I took my notes a couple days ago, he was just outside the top 10 in terms of the hardest shots taking uh, being taken at the mm-hmm. rim. So he's getting there a lot because of that. He's taking some tough shots. I think at times his vision inhibits him a little bit from seeing the like empty or the opposite corner open skip pass. And that's resulting in him taking shots that you would love for him to turn down in, in order to to get a great shot on that kick out. But um, overall, it's still a really strong area for him. And we've seen that. And I want to see him play a little bit more with Damian Jones, who's a nice lob threat for him because he hasn't really had that kind of guy. Harrell's not that guy. Gasol's not that guy. AD, he hasn't like we haven't seen the two of them play together in forever. Um And even when they have played together, they haven't had a ton of those lobs. So I want to see Jones out there. I want to see some of that chemistry built a little bit. Um, And I think the team can do a little bit more to get him 
attacking the rim as an off-ball guy. When he's out there and LeBron's out there, it's kind of a one or the other sort of thing. We haven't quite figured out how to mesh Mm -hmm. the two of them together. And that was something that, going back to the beginning of the season, we talked about if this team is to reach their true potential form, you want to be able to have all of those strong guys building off of each other's skill sets and the right X's and O's to make the most out of them. I don't know if we're quite there yet, but... Even without that, he's shown clear proficiency at the things he's good at and has been a huge, huge contributor to this offense. Kind of moving to his perimeter shooting has been a bit rough here looking at the numbers. Uh, Not the worst, but, you know, below average, certainly. So he's coming in at 31.7, like raw three point percentage. Um, But it's about the same kind of as you go down and and gets worse until you get to the corner. 17.7 percent from the corners, which is an F, obviously. Um, He's taking a lot of. like long threes, like 25.9. I, I don't know why that, that doesn't really tell me much. I just like, is that that's above the break? I'm guessing like most of his shots. Yeah. Corner three to above the break ratio is 17% corner three, 83% uh, above the break. So that's the factor of just, he's, he's not really playing off ball. Like, like maybe he could and, and, and put pressure on the weak side as a driver. But if he can't shoot, it's it's tough to to use him in that mm-hmm. way, too. Yeah, he's a heavy catch and shoot, but not from the corners three point shooter. Right. Which is a somewhat unique shot profile for a guy. And thinking back to, again, this past offseason when that trade happened and we're looking at, you know, who is this guy? Who is Dennis Schroeder? Last season in OKC, he shot well. But that was really the first year he had shot that well from three in, you know, not a short career. And we were trying to figure out, is that growth or is that a blip on the radar? Is that the anomaly? Right now, it looks like last season was the anomaly and he's not going to be getting you like good three point percentages. Um, So that's that's a big piece of the potential upside with him. That was tantalizing, but also something I was trying to caution people about over the offseason that doesn't seem to have materialized. So you, you can, you know, think back to what we thought Trez was going to be, what we thought Gasol and Wes and Schroeder were going to be. Right now, it's a little bit sobering to be like, oh, you know what? Hmm. His shots aren't falling from three. And yeah. that changes the way you have to defend him. And uh, we even see that in some of the the data we'll talk about in a sec when it comes to like the lineup spacing and in, in the things like that. That is a piece of this. His his off ball movement stuff looks you know okay. Um, his off screen effective field goal percentage, you know, a a minus grade. His cut share is cut field goal percentage a minus a. I think we can do more to use him well off ball and get like some some movement on the other side of the ball so that Braun can hit this guy as he curls and get goes down the hill off of something. But, you know, it definitely takes him a while to to load up into his jump shot. And it's kind of causing issues on on putting him and LeBron on the court at the same time in, yeah. in like the, the highest possibility, you know, outcomes. Absolutely. One one thing that Miami does a good job of doing when they have guys who they want to get attacking downhill that I'd love to see the Lakers try with Schroeder is they'll have so for our, for us, it would be like LeBron as the ball at the left wing. We're going to run a double high ball screen. So we've got our, both our bigs will have 
Gasol and AD coming up to set screens for LeBron driving middle. And then we've got uh, a guy in the left corner. And then we've got Schroeder on the right wing. And LeBron, as he's dribbling off those screens, immediately is passing to Schroeder. And Schroeder is immediately trying to turn that corner along that right sideline. Because his man, seeing that action, might want to take a step over, might want to help defend that action, especially for a guy like Schroeder, who is not the biggest three-point shooting threat. And we see, like, Spolstra knows this, and they use this a lot. They've used this for years, and it works pretty consistently. Uh, Using that defender positioning against them and the fact that there's no one else on that side of the court, that quick pass, you know, you hear this from coaches, the ball moves faster than players. Um, That quick pass without really exploring that double high ball screen, that's a decoy. That quick pass lets Schroeder then go attack the rim. And based on the positioning of the other players, he'll have an opportunity to shoot. You know, if he beats his guy, he's got a layup because there isn't really help coming. And if it's coming, it's going to result in a a easy skip pass. You know, there isn't a bunch of traffic in the lane, anything like that. If, If the one guy that can help does help, that's an easy skip pass opposite corner three for like KCP, for example. That is just one example of several that we can talk about of uh, like how the team, this is what I'd be doing if I were the Lakers right now over this break is trying to figure out, you know, this is a skill error. We want to get churning a little bit. What are some plays we can steal or come up with to get him going a little bit more in that kind of way? I really like that answer. Um, that's awesome. Awesome. That's definitely what I'm, I'm looking for in, in trying to maximize this guy. Next to LeBron James, we know what we can do when LeBron's not in, and that's great, and that will be helpful, but to maximize the ceiling of their you know five best players to, to get to that closing lineup of death, that's something that I think uh, will, will only help LeBron and Schroeder and the entire Lakers offense uh, get better shots because I think Dennis can make those reads if they're simple. So if you keep it simple for him, I'm more optimistic about that. Yeah, it's it's a recognize where he's strong, recognize where he's weak and put him in the best opportunities for him to succeed, given what he can and can't do. Don't putting don't put him in a bunch of chances where we see what he's not good at. Give him, you know, scheme those looks in there where we get to see him do what he's good at and you'll get to see the best version of Dennis Schroeder. Um, I want to talk about his defense, though, Tom. This is a guy. Yeah, I was going to say. He's, Let's do it. He's like in the, I need to pull the list up, but he was like top 15. I think he's top 10, actually. I just tweeted it out recently from the site account. I think he's top 10 right now in matchup difficulty. He's taken on tough matchups. He's at that point of attack. He, this is, you know, you usually don't bring up defensive rebounding numbers for a point guard. And his defensive rebounds per game aren't anything special, but 10% of his defensive rebounds are contested. That's higher than 88% of players. That's an A minus grade. And his win rate and his win rate versus expectations and his real adjusted defensive rebounding rate, his impact on the team's rebounding when he's on court are all very, very good. So that is another way, you know, you lose JaVale, you lose Dwight, maybe the rebounding goes down a bit. You insert Schroeder and he's able to just go out there and be a dog at the point of attack and go fight for some rebounds. And that stands out to me. This is a dude that's trying to win games. He's hustling all over the place. We see that his loose ball recovery rates in A minus. And and you brought it up last pod. There are a bunch of these role player type guys that have really high loose ball recovery rates. These dudes are giving it an effort. Yeah. Um you know, you can you can take shots at guys here or there, you know, oh, this guy doesn't look like he's playing tonight or things like that. But they're, you know, in those granular numbers, they're hustling and it's showing yeah. up on film and it's showing up in the numbers. 
Yeah, no, the data really, really likes the Lakers in their 50-50 ball. You know, the loose ball recovery rate is is really high for all these these role players. And um, yeah, to your point, primary a ball handler, 27% of the time, 89th percentile, Dennis Schroeder is guarding him. And and that's a 27% of time in any role. This was major. That's, yeah, definitely a percentile there. Um, I love what you said about the rebounding. I didn't expect that to be a strength of his, but that's uh, another person, like you said, like Rondo, that's replacing that kind of role. And that helps him get out into transition uh, even better. And mm-hmm. even though his transition, like we've brought it up before, he's only 0.94 points per possession in the transition, which is in the 24th percentile. It's D minus. It's not great. I think some of that attributes to his uh, difficult shots at the rim, but you know, give him credit. He's he's trying to to make something happen. And uh, even though it's loud and, and bad sometimes, I think overall it it it's a good thing for the Lakers and uh, in that defensive rebounding. And yeah, man, that perimeter defense chart it looks a lot better than I, I thought it would um, when he first got to the Lakers. So yeah, no, it's been impressive. His ball screen defense is very good as well, and that's not something. In these numbers, you're going to see this is like perimeter defensive activity, really, more than Mm. just all of perimeter defense. And he's good here and he's good there. And that's not going to show up in these stats. It's going to show up in the impact metrics a bit. I do want to bring up. So for the second half of the season, maybe not like right now, not against Indiana tonight, but later on in the year, once we get to the playoffs, his defense in terms of defending players larger than him is going to become more important. Just like we talked about AD on that last pod and his his defensive versatility so far this season has not been tapped into. It will be tapped into in the playoffs. But because of that, because we're going to see him more willing to switch, you know, there are going if AD switching on to guards, guards are going to be switching on to opposing team big men Hmm. or wings. And Schroeder is one of those guys that going into the season, it was a concern. And we talked about it. And the answer was kind of like. Maybe in OKC, he didn't really guard up that much. In those three-guard lineups, he was taking the smallest guys, and we saw that in the numbers. But this won't be an issue until the playoffs, probably. And it still hasn't quite been an issue, but it's still something to keep an eye on. And looking at his matchup data so far, you you brought up he's defending primary ball handlers a lot. He's defending slashers a ton. All of the on-ball guard or wing roles, he's done a good bit of. But if you look at any of the big man roles, any of the off-ball, kind of larger wing kind of roles... He's not doing any of that. He's he's guarding uh, centers, power forwards, and small forwards a combined like 26% of his time on defense, which isn't a whole lot. And that's somewhere that may, you know, it, it, again, we're not quite noticing it. It doesn't really matter right now, but it doesn't appear as though he's being used in the type of way or the Lakers, you know, are trying to, maybe it's just part of the scheme right now, but we haven't seen him go through the trials of defending like scoring wings. And that will be something if we play teams that have those guys in the playoffs that he's going to be tested with. So we'll keep an eye on that. If, you know, a game a week from now or a month from now, he does do a really good job in those situations. That's going to be really notable to me because so far this year, we haven't really seen the opportunity for him to show out or not look good in that kind of situation. So that's the the one thing on defense that like, you know, he's, you know, A here, B there, A plus here. We It's like an NA, like you didn't have a chance to to showcase that skill set yet. So that's something to keep an eye out for. And if the Lakers are really trying to keep him away from those, I think that is telling as well. 
I threw up a question in the Discord before we started if anybody wanted any data specifically about uh, any of these guys we're going to talk about. And I got General Addis asking about what do we need to Schroeder and Gasol to get better at for the playoffs. And for Schroeder, I think that's a great uh, idea that you throw out for defenses. How does he guard bigger? What does he look like when the Lakers start to switch more here as they uh, hone in that that defense for the playoffs? And on offense, I mentioned kind of some of the off-ball movement, some of his off-screen data, um, trying to get him going downhill and keep him more relevant on offense uh, when LeBron's on the court. So uh, what about you? What are some of the areas you'll be looking at um, uh, you talked about switching, but how about on offense? I think you, I think you nailed it. It's the he needs to be able to pressure the defense as an off-ball threat. On ball, he does what he does. Off ball, we haven't seen the team use him in ways to try to work around his lack of shooting. And if he were shooting the ball right now, it, it wouldn't matter. But because his threes aren't falling, I think it's time to look yourself in the mirror, realize that last year's shooting was potentially an anomaly and try to figure out some longer term solutions to having him out in lineups as a non shooter, non spacer and realize that that can be negatively impacting other players, offensive game, including LeBron and AD. So finding ways like the example I brought up earlier, or I mean, this could be a whole pod on its own, how to get him and Gasol going a a little bit more, but it's those types of things where you find ways to get them opportunities to be pressuring the defense, either through screening or cutting or uh, trying to turn the corner, just little things, either as primary actions, weak side actions, decoy actions to make sure they're involved in the offense more than just a stationary shooter standing at the top of the key or kind of fading away towards half court or standing at the wing. One last thing I'll mention with Schroeder. So we just put up a new page or two at B-Ball Index, and these are free pages. Anybody can go take a look at them. We have basically lineup data. We, we look at every every team's, all their lineups, and look at the archetypes of players offensively that are in them. We've got like offensive rating, defensive rating, that rating, that stuff. But then we also take a look at the shot quality that that lineup's getting, the spacing of that lineup based on an off-ball version of our three-point shot-making rating. We have the lineup's playmaking. We have the lineup's scoring gravity, the lineup's penetration ability, finishing at the rim ability, overall finishing ability. And so there's a page where you can look at lineup by lineup for that. And then there's also a page where you can look at, hey, when for Schroeder in the lineups he's played in, if you ignore him and look at the other four guys he's playing with, how good is the spacing around him? How good is the playmaking around him? How good is the the finishing at the rim around him? And Schroeder in that page stands out to me as having the highest spacing of any Lakers player uh, in terms of like the guys around him. And I, I think the fact that he's not shooting so well off ball means that he's going to be a negative that, show up, that shows up on other players' data points, but isn't going to negatively impact himself right. when we look at the guys around him. But he's in the 55th percentile for lineup spacing, which other than for Damian Jones, who just recently joined the team, is first place over a lot of these players. Um, it just like picking out uh, other random guys like LeBron James, the lineups he's played within the spacing of those lineups has been only better than 23% of other players average lineup basically. So that's one, one area when we talk about like, you know, a guy is his talent. It's how you use him and it's his context. The context for Schroeder has been decent relative to what it has been for a lot of other players on the team. 
And I, I just wanted to give that a call out because I think that matters, especially for a guy like him who is a slasher and is trying to get to the rim. So in here it says that he's in the 14th percentile for penetration. What, is, what does that uh, mean? That means that the players he's playing with aren't doing a good job getting to the rim. And that's not good. But for him, it doesn't matter as much because he's that guy. He's the dude that's out there getting to the rim. So like Wes Matthews, he's not going to have he's not positively contributing to that rating or like THT. He would be or LeBron would be or AD maybe isn't as much as he normally would in other years. But uh, that is one case where like even though that rating in the lineups that Schroeder's in doesn't look all that good because it's looking at the players other than him. I'm not con- too concerned given his role within the offense. No, that's good. That's all awesome context. And yeah, check that out on the bball-index.com uh, on their free pages. Um, moving on here to Trez, Tim. Uh, he's our center on offense, center on defense. Duh. You know, his offensive archetypes post score defensive roles anchor big uh, top talent areas. Um, off-ball movement, ability to score away from the ball through cutting and off-screen opportunities, uh, finishing, roll gravity, offensive rebounding. Sounds all about right to me. Um, I don't know. I guess just kind of open open source here for you, uh, and then I'll kind of get my bearings here with this data. But I'm seeing a lot of poop emojis. No, I'm just kidding. That's his perimeter <laughs> shooting. Uh, <laughs> he's taken, like I think, like seven or eight threes this year, which – I could live without, to be honest. None of them have looked very good. So uh, I don't know. Open floor for you, Tier, to uh, dive into what you think is interesting here and Trez's data. Yeah, his. so I see what he brings as being important as a dump-off guy, a post guy, and winning on the offensive boards. And when we look at that post one-on-one game, he's another dude just like LeBron and AD who has really high volume. A volume, his impact has been strong, his his. B, effective field goal percentage, C-plus foul drawn rate. His turnover rate's not good at D-plus. His impact overall, given the volume and efficiency, is a B-plus. He has a 3-to-1 ratio of post to perimeter isolations this year. And his perimeter isolations have actually been very, very good. Yeah. His post post isolations have not been so good. Um, he His efficiency ranks 14th out of the 15 post players this year with 100 or more post-ups. He ranks 29th of 34 of the guys with 50 or more, 17th of 19th of guys with 75 or more. So he has been one of the least efficient post players among players who are doing it with any regularity. He's been a pretty good like perimeter isolation kind of guy, but we've talked about on previous pods the things other teams are doing to send extra help. And I think Trez more so than LeBron or AD has been a little bit more susceptible to not winning those 1v2 battles. If the team isn't moving around, he's not like the caliber of playmaker that he's able to like really navigate that situation. That's just not his game. And that's okay. But when you have a guy who has the second lowest pass out rate leading to shots from teammates from the post and you've got defenses sending extra help, that is not a recipe for success. So this is somewhere where when LA starts countering it well, he actually has performed well in that that reflects in the data. But because L.A. hasn't been countering all that frequently, his overall post efficiency has dropped a little bit. So that is a big piece of his game that like I know the potentials there. We know he's good at this. The context, the environment, the situation hasn't let us see him at his full form. But it's the type of thing that like it's not like, oh, he's washed or he can't do this anymore. It's his efficiency is lower than we want it to be, but it's very fixable and 
very well like a month from now, three weeks from now, two weeks from now, we could say, hey, the Lakers have this figured out. So I'm not down on that. It's a core competency of his. He just hasn't been up to the standard that I think he has for himself. But that's okay because the Lakers have plenty of season ahead of them. And I think that's the very first thing that stands out to me in his offensive profile. No, yeah, the post play, it's all very good. High efficiency, not just, you know, above average average but highly above average um so uh, like his roll gravity again like roll impact per 75 possessions 93rd percentile a a rim gravity per 75 99th percentile a so he's still able even though he's undersized you know he's got that little floater push shot he can use um you know, he's set, he's setting screens, you know, at least he's getting screen assists, Tim, he's a, a minus percentile there. So I, I like what I've gotten from Trez. I gotta admit, I, I don't think a lot of his downfalls are, uh, prohibitive to playing in the playoffs, but I, I like what he provides from a sense of energy and that's not in the data I know, but like you can look at still, you know, his off ball movement data, a movement impact per 75, 98th percentile movement points per 75, 98th percentile movement attack rate, 86th percentile. His that just helps. And the Lakers, I think don't have a lot of movement to the way we would like. And he's definitely one of the people helping that, um, and even if it's kind of rolling and then going, standing in the dunker spot and then setting a screen, he, he, he's getting to the rim uh, both by himself, unassisted and, you know, I'm sorry, let me say that again. I lost my he so he's getting 6.3 shots at the rim per 75 and three of those are unassisted. So half the time he's you know getting there with help and then sometimes he's getting there on his own, too. Right. So, but. Are you, do you think like you want more perimeter ISOs versus lower paint post touches? No, I do not. I want the I would hope for a similar breakdown. I, I like that three to one. I think post to perimeter. I'm OK with that ratio. I would just trust the process and trust that the Lakers on film are going to see what they need to fix and get that taken care of. Um, if they can fix the right. post help thing. Love it because when he isolates on the perimeter, a lot of times that's resulting in jumpers. I his post game is more geared towards what he's better at, and I think that's more sustainable. I don't want to be living with Trez just like it looks like he's settling mid range jumpers, and he's hitting he's hit him at a decent yeah. rate so far. So that's why the numbers look the way they are. But like I, I'm gonna you know this is one of those situations where like you take the money you've won and and you leave the casino. Um, I'm not doubling down on that and trying to like shift. Trez to a perimeter isolation kind of guy. I, I want to stick to his bread and butter, try to fix some of the X's and O's, let him be good at what he's good at and, and, and just let him go to work. Um, keeping him as a finisher, t- not needing him to play make all that much, keeping those reads nice and simple, and then just letting him do the little things that he does, like winning loose balls, A minus grade, uh, offensive rebounding through the roof all over the place. Um, and then being a really good dump off and roll guy. I, I just let him do what he's good at. And I really love, too, that uh, his slip impact per 75 possessions, 95th percentile, the difference between knowing when to stand in and set the hard screen versus knowing when to slip. That shows to me like a, a dynamism that he can play with a LeBron and, and a pick and roll partner like on a consistent basis and hopefully more shrewder in the second half of the season, too. Yeah. And, and I think to start the year, his screening wasn't quite as good as it has been more yeah. recently. And and just looking at the ratio, he only 10% of his 
Rollman total Rollman scoring possessions have been slipped. So it's not like he's slipping all the time, and that's why he has a high slip slip impact. He's truly rolling seventy seven percent of the time, popping thirteen percent, slipping ten percent, and he's been he's picked his spots very well with those slips over the past month month and a half of basketball. So yeah, he's he's got he's rounded into good form in that area of his game, and like you said, it's a really nice from like an IQ standpoint, attacking the right coverages in the right ways. That's really helpful to the offense. You mentioned it like we didn't bring it up, but the pop impact, you know, he's not scoring or really assisting much out of those, but he'll pop, get the ball and then run a little dribble handoff with a shooter yep. or a THT. And like mm-hmm. then his role of gravity is felt. So he's kind of that connective tissue for some of those guards to, you know, keep the play moving, even though they're not actually moving that much. Yep. Yeah. It's a like you want to Trez. I I bet you Trez has like a number he's been told of like if you pop and you get the ball with more than X amount of seconds, you are not taking that jump shot. Um, like we want you executing a dribble yeah. handoff attack off the dribble if you can. But like there's there's a certain point in the shot clock where, you know, take it. It's there. But if there's 10 seconds left or eight seconds left, go run another action because that's it. Get you back into a rolling kind of situation. Get one of our guards or wings attacking off the dribble downhill in in that, you know, run an action. It didn't work. Let's run another action, run another action. That kind of offense is what leads to just good process and good efficiency, big picture. And it seems like he's not he's not like a ball stopper in those situations in the sense that he's forcing shots up that we wouldn't want him to be forcing up. So I think that's another really encouraging sign of how he's played so far. Uh, Let's talk about his offensive rebounding here because I'm seeing a lot of A's. I'm seeing like a 4.0 GPA here from Trez on the offensive (laughs) rebounding uh, section. So like you mentioned before, like how off, how are you impacting your team's, you know, offensive rebound rate, real adjusted rebound rate, 80th percentile. Um, His uh, contested offensive rebounds, 94th percentile. Like this is keeping in with the hustle, like the Lakers are playing in with the data that's there. And, And I think, you know, if you watch, even if you watch teams throughout the league on a regular basis, it's hard to, to quantify that on a game to game basis. It's hard to just be like Lakers are going to win just because they get 50, 50 balls more. But if you look at the data and that's true and some of these contested rebounds and, and break that down, it, it makes sense to me that these guys have really bought into their role and that's where their energy is being expended, you know, and those on the margins. Yeah. We, we have numbers to measure that hustle that we didn't really have as many numbers for even as soon as a couple years ago. So yeah, it's yeah, I love that we have those numbers and the right guys are showing up in those numbers. And it's it's a good sign that lets us know that like these guys aren't just like taking games off. And it's a lot of times with some of these things, it's when you like you notice them when you notice them. And if you don't notice them, they're not top of mind. But mm-hmm. having the number number behind it's really, really impressive. And like you said, that 94th percentile contested offensive rebounding rate, like he's in there fighting and a yeah. ton of his offensive rebounds are fighting. And then turning those into putbacks, that's that free yeah. money that you're finding in your jacket pocket. This is he, he's getting two point six putbacks per 75 possessions. So if if you were to like play a full game offensively. About 69% of his offensive rebounds are turning into putbacks. So like putbacks to a reset, like that's fine. That's good. You know, you're going to end up with 10 seconds left on the shot clock or something by the time the team tries to do something. A putback, I'm sorry, offensive rebound into a putback, that's like a solid 1.2 
ish points per possession kind of look right there. And for him, let's see what it's been. It has been 1.39 points per possession. So when about 70% of his offensive rebounds are turning into that, you know, easy efficiency, you love to see that as well. And that's why he has an impact as a putback guy higher than 98% of NBA players this season. Wow. Yeah. And just kind of looking at his overall offensive breakdown efficiency through the roof for this guy. I mean, you know, Basically, other than post-ups that are, you know, 55th percentile, it's it's all 80th percentile or higher for Trez uh, offensively, like points per shot, 1.53. You know, yes, he's not shooting as much as like he'll have some games, right? We'll have six points and still do all the extra defensive stuff, offensive rebound stuff, maybe reset instead of a putback. But um, he's a guy that'll provide different things on a night to night basis that are, aren't in the playbook are cleaning up the glass. And like I said, really helping, uh, nibble at the margins to give the Lakers just slight advantages here and there. Yeah. And, and with our points over expectation stat, it builds on that. It's not just that he's getting those extra opportunities, which are free points. And like thinking again, back to Kuz, Kuz was getting those offensive rebounds, not converting at a great rate, but you can't really complain about that. Trez is getting high quality looks through his style of play and some players could just kind of fall into good efficiency, even underperforming on good looks. Trez is overperforming on good looks. We see that in his finishing at rim rating and we see that in his points over expectation where he's in the 95th percentile, um, adding about a point and a half per 75 offensive possessions. So like he's he's getting you almost a, he's getting you a buck and a half more than the average player would if you give them those same rolls and dump offs and putbacks and all that stuff. So that just on its own has incredible value. Um, and that's where you want to separate just from e- like efficiency is good, but efficiency without context doesn't tell us as much. He's efficient even for his role. And that's what that number says. I mean, Stu got the mid-level exception. This is clearly above mid-level exception performance, is it not? Offensively, it is. <laughs> okay, well then I sense a butt coming, maybe. Maybe we'll transition into defense then, Tim. What's what's the butt here, I guess? So the butt is, and actually his his defensive impact hasn't been terrible, but he's a big man, so it's generally a little bit more inflated than, than some other positions. As an anchor big, he's not being asked to do what he's best at. Going into the season, I said, this is a perimeter big power forward defender in his best defensive self. He hadn't been asked to do that with the Clippers from a role standpoint or from a coverage standpoint. He was playing drop coverage. Neither of those are a fit for him. The Lakers have fixed one in the coverages. We have not quite fixed the role itself. And that is is still we're not potentially seeing him at his best self. I think him playing without AD uh, kind of he doesn't have that second guy that can come over as that perimeter big and and be cleaning things up at the rim for him. I think we've seen in, in rightfully so you'll have people. There's some angst around his defensive performance. He's not the kind of defensive rebounder that he is on the offensive end. His he's not a shot blocker the way that the Lakers fans are used to seeing with JaVale and Dwight and his mobility, his versatility. You know, I think there's some potential there, but he's no AD or anything like that. Um, that is where you you start to worry. And if we look at what this might be for the playoffs, because that's really what matters. There's been no player in our database 
multiple years in our database that has seen a larger drop from the regular season with their impact to the playoffs with their impact than Montrezl Harrell over three years, a three-year, multi-year value sample. No player has fallen more once they get to the playoffs in their performance than Trez. And that's concerning. And that's something that you have to go into the year and go into the second half of the season and saying, all right, well, why was that? And how can we set them better up to succeed? That is just kind of lurking in the back of my mind. We're like, yeah, the offensive plays good, but the defense isn't where the team wants it to be. Frank Vogel's outright benched him and talked about that at several points. And it's not because he's defending Nikola Jokic. It's because he can't defend Robin Lopez. And those situations, I mean, some of it, we, you know, come on, Frank, like play the guy he's helping up the offense. But, you know, I think some of those defensive concerns are still there, even if you weigh them a little bit less than Frank might. So that is the that is the but. And again, his play has been very good. I'm happy with it. And especially given all the circumstances. But that's something we're going to matter. That's something that will matter more once he gets to the playoffs. So he and Schroeder each have their own little thing that like we haven't quite run into its worst ugly form yet once we get to the playoffs with their defense. But that has to be in the back of your mind and you have to actively be trying to find ways over the next 30 games, 40 games, whatever it is, to figure out how you can bridge that gap between where he has been and where we need him to be in those situations. If we're going to, and I think we will start to see the Lakers switch more, how do you think that will affect Trez? Uh, and do you think that's like a playoff, uh, like him against isolations, right? And I'm like trying to look at his like perimeter defense. It doesn't exactly tell me yeah. a lot though. You know what I mean? It's not specific. And defense is hard to quantify if you don't study the film. It's hard to just pull the data and say, oh, this is exactly what's happening. The way it is on offense, at least, it's a lot clearer, right, uh, in what you can quantify. But I, I guess, like, how do you expect Trez and the evolution of the Lakers pick and roll screen coverages to fare uh, going forward with him switching? Is that going to help him? Is that going to hurt him? Is uh, is it worth a look at least? Is it how the teams deployed him in the playoffs? So many questions. Sorry. No, they're, they're all the right questions. I think... The screen coverages that the Lakers have used him with this season are a much better fit for his skill set. He is not a drop coverage big for whatever reason. He is an anchor big with his defensive role, which isn't what you want to see. But I think the Lakers have been using him in the right kind of screen coverages, and he's done a good job within the catch hedging. I'm I'm pleased with what we've seen there, and that's something that once we get to the playoffs, carries over a bit. That's what the Lakers ran against uh, Jamal Murray for a bit. He strung those out into ISOs, and then it was, can our big men isolate with their defense? Um, against Dame Lillard in the playoffs, we were catch hedging. So these are things that JaVale and Dwight had to do a little bit past their normal point of comfort, and they did well enough in, or Dwight did well enough in, that they were able to stay on the court. I think Trez is a step up from those guys. In that respect. So I think he's well equipped to overcome some of his limitations by being asked to do the right things in the playoffs from a screen coverage standpoint. Once it turns into ISO, I, I again think he's a step up from JaVale or Dwight in that respect. Uh, like you said, that defensive data that we have, the public data does not really address this. And this is something that like on the team side, there's better stuff. I can attest to saying that there is better stuff available that the teams can use to evaluate these situations. Mm -hmm. Also on the public side, we don't have that. Um, 
But I do think he's better equipped than Dwight Howard was last year to defend if if a catch hedge is strung out into a perimeter ISO. I feel okay about that. And having AD as that weak side guy that can come over and help and having these guys that can rotate down, I, I'm okay with that. I'm comfortable a lot more with how the Lakers probably will use Trez in the playoffs compared to how he's been used in previous years. So I think from that standpoint, I feel... I feel a little bit of comfort. I think he'll do okay. I think he'll do well enough as a perimeter defender. It's just the, uh, so far as an anchor big, even playing the right screen coverages, you know, that mitigates his lack of interior defense a bit, but it's when, you know, you're still going to have other situations where he needs to defend the rim and he's just, there are shots he's not even able to try to block that we would see JaVale and, and Dwight be able to fly in out of nowhere and block last season. So that is the biggest gap I noticed with him and Gasol in in that manner. But from a screen coverage standpoint, the Lakers know what they're doing. They're using him in the right ways. And I think once we get to the playoffs, I have enough confidence in his perimeter defense that I feel okay big picture. I want to see if AD starts playing center or not. I think that would be another step to help Trez's defense out. Um uh, yeah, that, that he needs to be a mobile big. He needs to not be an anchor big defensively. And I think that he's on the right track to get there by the end of the season. I like that. Yeah, having Anthony Davis on your defense definitely helps uh, a lot of issues. Uh, gives you a little bit of flexibility in some of the things you can do that you wouldn't otherwise be able to. Uh, so now let's take a quick break and we will come back and finish out the rest of the roster. Life is too short to sleep between anything less than really nice sheets. But maybe you looked at some retailers and calculated the years of interest you'd pay on just one set and gave up. Trust me, go check out Brooklinen. So Brooklinen was started by Rich and Vicky, who also tried to find beautiful home essentials that didn't cost an arm and a leg. And when they couldn't, they founded Brooklinen as the first direct-to-consumer betting company. They work directly with manufacturers to make luxury available directly to you without the luxury level markups. Brooklinen has a variety of sheets, colors, patterns, and materials to fit your needs and tastes. Brooklinen has over 50,000 five-star reviews and counting. They are so confident that you will love their products. They even offer a 365-day money-back guarantee. And Brooklinen is so much more than sheets. They've got comforters, pillows, towels, even loungewear, and more. Go to brooklinen.com and use the promo code LAKERS25 to get $25 off when you spend $100 or more, plus free shipping. That's B-R-O-O-K-L-I-N-E-N.com and enter promo code LAKERS25 to get $25 off when you spend $100 or more, plus free shipping. So hit up that link, brooklinen.com, and use our promo code LAKERS25 to check out and tell them that you... We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. 
Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Came from us. Back from break, Tim, let's move on to the Lakers starting center, missing center right now, still in the COVID protocol. I'm a little bit bummed by that. Um, but Marcus Gasol, center on offense, center on defense. His archetype on offense is our stretch big. And much like Montrez Harrell, uh, defensive role is anchor big. Um, top talent areas for Marcus Gasol is role gravity or ability to bend the defense through scoring and screening to as the big in the ball screen situations, interior defense, playmaking, and perimeter shooting. Um, top Highlighted stats for strengths among Ferguson, uh, passing creation quality, blocks per 75 possessions, corner three point percentage and pop impact per 75 possessions. Uh, and so so it's just starting there, Tim, and kind of the uh, perimeter shooting. It's only 36.5 percent overall. But I feel like. Yeah, and yeah, looking here, um, his quality shot quality has been good. Obviously that's a lot of catch and shoot 99% to one pull up. I feel like that 1% is just, I remember the, the kind of play. It was one heave at the the last second of the shot clock. play. Yep. Pro- probably. Yeah. He's a catch and shoot guy and that's going to lead to decent quality. And like you said, like 36.5% isn't anything special, but it's, it's okay. It's a B grade and his, shooting you know versus expectations from that three-point shot making it's a c minus it's about what you would expect so if we can i mean he's going to continue getting good quality and if he can give us about what you'd expect on that high quality shooting i am like what he's giving us as a perimeter shooter is is workable now for a c minus guy you're going to have stretches where he's like in d minus form or you're going to have stretches where he's in like b minus form so game to game week by week you, there might be a little bit more, a little bit less groaning, but on the year as a whole, about average, and you can live with that. Yeah, uh, I'm, he's obviously like in his lineup playmaking data, the other big part of his game is 85th percentile. He's a great playmaker who's going to help the team uh, for shoot and and through his passing mainly. And we see that as well in passion creation quality, 96th percentile. Uh, and that just looks at the assists by range on the court, as well as conversion rates on potential assists on passes from that player versus the same players on passes from teammates to capture the quality of shot opportunities created via the pass by a player. Uh, I didn't just read the script from that. That was just all <laughs> off the top of my brain. Um, Hi, no. Hey, all you have to do, all you have to do is hover over the cells and they'll tell you what the stat <laughs> is. That's that we, we got your back, Tom, at B-Ball Index. Makes me sound smart. I appreciate it. Uh, but you know, obviously this is a big boon for Gasol in his offensive game. Uh, high value assists, which I, I really like this. I'm going to look at this for a lot of players now because it's not just what kind of assists you are getting assists, but is it a kick out, skip a good skip pass? Is it a back cut bounce pass? You know, is it setting up good plays? And Marcus Gasol for a center possession from the center position, excuse me, I feel like a 74th percentile in that is uh, like fantastic. Like there's like Jokic and, you know, maybe, maybe a couple other guys who are there like Sabonis. Uh, but I don't see a whole lot of other guys at creating those kind of shots from the center position in the league. Yeah, absolutely. And in a lot of different ways, Gasol's playmaking is 
very exceptional for a big man from from a volume standpoint he finds ways he's not just executing handoffs he's like truly passing the guys on like back cuts in yeah. rhythm and that it has a ton of value the quality of the looks he's getting again in those similar ways is is very different from what you generally expect to see from a big man um his versatility that's something i really want to call out his value, I think he has like a B on the year for versatility. Mm-hmm. That is very, very good for a big man. It's in the 87th percentile, A minus grade versus all centers in our like eight-year database. It oh. is like he's making the types of looks that most big men wouldn't even try to, to pass. He's making skip passes and he's, these outlet passes. All of those things are little bonuses that you just don't generally get with big men. That like It's like Jokic will do some of that and like Bam Adebayo's slowly adding to his repertoire. Um, but Marcus all is, is really up there when it comes to those things. And that's how you get the high quality like he has, which again is higher versus centers is higher than 98% of all of the ones in our database. Um, so as just as a playmaker, he's been fantastic. I do want to call out his efficiency, his passing efficiency over his career heading into this had been like 99th, 98th, 99th percentile like every single year. This year, it is a very meager 84th percentile. He's just slumming it and uh, it's still very good. But I do think the lack of playing time, the lack of that rhythm, the lack of opportunity to build that chemistry with guys for a dude who's making as many back cut bounce passes as he is, has a very real impact. So that's I think is one of the many little areas that like I can tangibly point to something where he he should be doing better than this. He's always done better than this. I think that lack of practice is why we're seeing it be an A minus instead of like top in the league like it, it usually is. The thing that I wonder about is can Lakers play through him in the post more and as a passer, right? But he's only getting three and a half post touches per seventy five. Which is slightly paint touches, paint touches, not not, uh, that's and that's like, you know, maybe at the elbow, too. So it's post touches is probably even lower. Right. So post touches, probably even lower to your point. Right. How do we like build some offense around that? This is like some old school, maybe try triangle offense, to be perfectly honest, like some like old Pau Gasol stuff, you know, operating out of that high post facing up. Um I'm I'm just looking for looking for stuff on the margins, Tim. I like I like what I see from Gasol, and I think it could help to if LeBron literally needs a possession off, AD like it gets everyone involved. I'm just finding ways to not have it be so many post up isolations from yeah. AD and Bron. So, um, what do you think about that? I think I would like to see more Gasol kind of like mid post and high post facilitating low. I want to keep him like far enough away from the rim that he doesn't feel the need or the desire or like, he's like, nah, this is too far for me. I'm not going to try to score because when he has tried to score in the post, it's been not a pretty picture. D efficiency 0.65 points per possession has not been fantastic, but you do want him closer to the rim than sending at the top of the key, making a lot of these passes because the angles are better. You're able to convert on a lot more of those back cuts so, you know, the top of the key passing, that's a real thing. That's going to continue to happen. And that that works. I would love to see more high post, mid post, face up, Gasol looking to facilitate close enough to the room that you have to stay up on him and guard him. He's not at the top of the key where you can sag off him a little bit. Um, 
and then I want to see more split cuts. We had our split cut mm. dance party for that one game. I want more of that, man. Damn it. Like, give give me more. Because you run like three, four of those a game, you're going to get some easy buckets. And that's offense. You don't need LeBron out there for. You don't need Shooter out there for. You can run that stuff with freaking Wes Matthews, KCP, and Alex Caruso. None mm. of them need to dribble the ball once. And you can generate high-quality looks. So that is the type of thing that, like, from the right passing positioning on the court, playing the split – Based on how the defense is guarding it, you don't want to be doing the wrong thing for what they're showing you, but you can get high quality looks with that kind of offense. And I think for me, that's high to mid post Marcus all passing. And we saw going into the year, we did that. Uh, one of the Twitch streams was looking at his playmaking and, and how Toronto had used him. And it was a lot of this sort of thing. It was a lot of that split cut you know, off screen type of motion. And we don't have the same caliber of off screen shooters, but the split cuts if you get some spacing out there, are ways to get cuts to the rim that we know he's good at passing to and then some of those easier off-screen looks. So that is that would be a big point of emphasis for me for the Lakers offense in terms of getting his playmaking involved in the right kind of ways. Last thing really quick on his offense that I think is hilarious. Uh, if you look at his role gravity box, right? His role impact uh, per 75, 77 percentile B plus grade, his rim gravity, five fifth percentile for an F. That, folks, is what a guy passing out of a short roll looks like, like right? Because the roll impact factors in pass outs as well, I'm guessing. It does not, actually. Oh. what The way I'm reading this is he's only pressuring the rim when he's rolling and when he's not rolling, there's he nothing going. Like, the rim. as a post player, nothing there. He's Got not driving. You. It's not like he's driving to the rim. He's not really even finishing dump offs all that much. So that rim gravity is as low as it is because it, like that, that B plus roll, B plus slip impact. That's all that's holding it up at, at any degree right. to any right. degree. I should say. No, it's still just impressive to be positive and not have it any significant rim gravity is kind of what I I, I think still stood out to me. Uh, and thank you for breaking that down. Another Gasol contested off- offensive rebound, A minus percentile. He's like all, all some of the bigs on the Lakers really affecting the offensive rebounding glass in that category. But moving on to his defense, Tim, his interior defense is better than I thought it would be percentage of rim shots contested 91st percentile rim contest per 75 94th percentile block rate uncontested, 87th so it, he is defending the rim it's not as flashy and as in the same way as a Dwight or JaVale but he's much better in the starting lineup than we were getting overall because of what he can do on offense and he's providing a, a percentage of what those guys did on defense too yeah, he's – I was looking at his interior defensive data compared to JaVale, compared to Dwight, and then also compared to Trez to try to add some more perspective. He's doing a pretty good job. Like, he gets way, way more crap than he should be getting. And people, again, I think some of it's not understanding the catch-hedge piece of things and saying, well, he's not defending the rim, but he's also not blitzing. Like, what's going on? He's doing his job there. It's – you know, he's he's not the most mobile guy in the world, but he's doing a good job there. And then when he is defending the rim, like he's he's done a decent job. These aren't elite numbers when you compare them to like a bunch of other anchor bigs, but they're good. They're still good. These are numbers like his blocks per 75 possessions. 
in his block rate, those are comparable to Dwight's last year. Like, I think he's actually higher than Dwight in each of those areas. Now, JaVale was higher, and I think JaVale and Dwight, we kind of put them together since we're missing both of them, but they were different kinds of shot blockers last year and different kinds of interior defenders. Dwight was the better on-ball post defender that could block some of those shots, but uh, JaVale was really the dude that would fly out of nowhere and, and get those help side blocks that maybe you didn't expect to see. And Gasol's not doing any of that, but he is he has been a good on-ball post defender. Maybe not to Dwight's caliber, but he's been pretty good. And he's doing, like, he's active defending the rim, and when guys are shooting at the rim against him, they're shooting, like, almost 5% worse than second spectrum would estimate they'd normally be shooting. So, like, he's doing a decent job. I think the big knock with his defense is he's not that dude that's deterring shots. And he's not someone you're scared of when you're driving. And because of that, we actually do see like his his rim deterrence data is a D minus. And that's not good, especially if you were to compare it to big dudes, it would be right. even less impressive. So that piece of his interior defense is certainly not what you'd want to see. But it's also not all that surprising. And the fact that he's good enough in all the other areas overall, holistically, as an interior defender, he's good enough that I'm not like, man, this is a huge red flag. We need to you know, trade this guy or something like that. Yeah. And his, his overall impact data on on the various and LeBron RPM Raptor kind of all over the place. Uh, like he's got an offensive RPM of seventh percentile F, you know, but in luck adjusted or APM, it's, you know, 62nd percentile. So like, it's really all over the place. Generally his defense is positive. So how do you read into that, that part of this, these different, what different, uh, impact stats are measuring basically. Yeah. It's one of those situations where you're like, you have to look at the different sauces that are telling you what they're telling you and know what the ingredients are in those sauces with the luck adjusted RAPM. This is a pure on off data analysis. And it's not like the raw data. It's looking at all the combos of, all right, well, when Gasol's out there with these four man lineups, him versus Trez versus AD or whoever, like it's looking at all the combos, looks at offensive, uh, like his teammate caliber quality, the opposing team quality. It's looking at all the possible combos to figure out his, from an on off standpoint only, how's he doing? And he's got a B minus or he's okay. He's a, he's, a, he's a positive. The box side of it, which is the other key piece that goes into LeBron, it'll go into RPM, it'll go into Raptor. That is where, at least in his offensive LeBron box score, which is somewhat, it's somewhat similar to what the other ones use, he's an F. Offensively, from the box numbers, he has not been a positive contributor and this is for a number of re- like the, the offensive rebounds aren't that high. The, the he's like not putting much pressure on the rim. Like those numbers aren't impressive. And he is the type of player offensively that like it's a craft and it's an IQ and it's a passing that gets him to his value. And we see that in the on off data, the box score data won't reflect that. So when you throw that F together with that B minus, that's when you end up with a D for offensive LeBron, a D for offensive Raptor and uh, offensive RPMs a little bit lower on him. But from my perspective, my, this is Tim's personal opinion. I when I'm looking at these impact stats, I value LeBron. Then I look at Raptor. Then I'd look at estimated plus minus, which we don't have on here because we can't scrape it. We're working on that. And then I kind of look at real plus minus. I, I'm not ESPN's done some funky things with that. And I put much less weight into that one than I do some of the others. But I do think there's still pretty general consensus that like overall offensively, he's not been an average contributor, 
But digging into the numbers we have on the profile, you can read that it's from the box piece. It's not from the on-off piece. Interesting. It's very good context there to keep in mind for all these different impact stats that value different things and and shouts to you for not even having uh, PER on here. (laughs) (laughs) It's not getting anywhere close to these, Tom. I'm the person who gets to decide what's in and out and it's not close to being in. I'm the bouncer for the profiles. and I couldn't say it without so laughing. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I mean, I think Marcus Saul is not uh, like an unabashed uh, positive on offense. I think there are situations that his um, his his defense can be good enough to were you know and and he's surrounded by Anthony Davis and LeBron in a perfect starting lineup Dennis Schroeder he doesn't need to uh be that and his his lack of offensive need is part of the strength that helps the chemistry of the overall unit and that starting unit is still like very good you know in the uh the net rating portion I think and and they play the most minutes together and that's where they they get leads and they get it back in the third quarter too so I'm not worried about Gasol but um it, it is slightly concerning to see in the data uh, because he's just not involved in, in the offense. So it can be loud and bad. But um, I think he does what he does well enough in the perimeter shooting and and the roll gravity numbers uh, to, to provide. a, a And dude, how many volleyball tap outs do you see him get that, mm. you know, control the pass to give the Lakers a second chance? Yeah, so many. It's he's he's doing some of those little things. They're not always going to be reflected in the like box score stats, but there's a reason why the on-off data sees his value. Overall, maybe he's not, you know, where we'd prefer he be and and we've talked about over the past couple of minutes where there are areas of opportunity to make more of him offensively. Um, but yeah, I, I think big picture it, it's we still we know who Marcus Hall is and the numbers for the most part reflect that. All right, Tim, I've done it again. We're already in an hour and we've gotten through three guys. So let's try and uh, keep it going here. That's apologies to me. I, again, I talk it a lot. We're digging deep here, though. I like it. THT, um, top talent areas for THT, finishing, interior defense, post play, perimeter defense. Interesting. Uh, so looking at his profile here, it's pretty white if or you know light blue if you will until you get to the finishing ability that it's dark dark blue which signifies really a high uh success in his finishing numbers uh ones that stand out getting to rim rating 96th percentile overall finishing talent 95th percentile finishing at the rim so he's getting there and finishing 90th plus percentile this is all lining up like the shot difficulty 74th percentile with what i see tim on the court finishing is his strength how do we get tht more finishing ability more opportunities because there's not much else here yeah it's i think tht will look better the more time he plays with starting units the path to him playing more with the higher caliber offensive players the lakers have is him playing better defense so to a certain extent, he controls his destiny here, where especially knowing Vogel, knowing the coaching staff and what they, they're caring about, which is defense, and, and they've had a lot of success with that. This is not me knocking that. He needs to to know that he needs to take some tangible strides in that defensive end 
to let him play with the right, you know, spacing and playmaking to help unlock his offensive end. Because I'll go back to that contextual data. The playmaking talent that THT has played alongside, and this is a team that has LeBron James, has Anthony Davis, has Dennis Schroeder, 19th percentile for THT, lowest of any Laker Oof. player. Of all the players on the team, the ones he the, the lineups THT is in are the least talented playmaking groups of any of those guys, and it's lower than four out of five players just in the league overall. That doesn't help him. The spacing below average, 38th percentile. The scoring gravity, 40th percentile. He's played a lot of time with dudes that aren't passing, aren't shooting and spacing the floor, and aren't scoring for themselves. And for a guy like THT, who he himself isn't a big spacer or the, the biggest playmaker, that doesn't set himself up well to succeed. So this is that important context that before two days ago, we didn't have these numbers set up to be able to like say, ah, you know, here's the here are those contextual numbers. But we have that now and we can see that he's not really being set up well. But despite all of that, this is the like, I mean, like he has a fastball at like that, like is just blowing dudes away and you know it's coming. He's a Raldis Chapman. He's got that one pitch, but it's still fantastic and he's still striking dudes out. And that's him getting to and finishing at the rim. And we we know it's the one thing he wants to do in offense. And once he gets there, we know he's only shooting with his one hand. And yet he still is getting to the rim higher than 96% of players in our whole database. And his finishing at the rim is higher than 90% of players. And when we just compare him to guys this season, he is 2, 4, 6, 8, 10, 12. He's 14th in the entire league in finishing. He's one spot wow. below Brandon Ingram. Um He's two spots ahead of Montrez Harrell. He's four spots ahead of Luka Doncic. This is a dude that, like, he will have a long career in this league, and he has plenty of room for growth, and you see that in the profile. There are other areas that we don't want to, like, they're not areas Tim would be screenshotting and tweeting out as promotional material. Um, but he's got a really, really strong fastball, and finding ways for him to pick his spots is going to be really important for the team, and I think him not needing to be relied on to be a playmaker is going to be really important because it's not as strong a piece of his game. And with LeBron or Schroeder, AD, or these different guys who have been out for different stretches, not LeBron, obviously, but the other ones, that has made him have to do a little bit more than what he's used to. So I think with a fully healthy team, hopefully THT ups his defense, plays with some stronger caliber lineups around him, and we can see a, a higher elevated form of THT with some improved context. And THT, 66 percentile for one-on-one -on -one total isolations per 75, but he's not being efficient in them. His impact is a D minus. His effective field goal percentage is a D. You know, his isolation turnover rate is a D minus. So I'm just thinking like the finishing is so good, but the efficiency in one-on-one -on -one situations isn't, at least not yet. And that's partly to do because of the lineups, like you mentioned, like he just doesn't have the space. Guys are digging on him. They're, you know, so we got to put him in more actions or is it the pick and roll, you know, uh, maybe get him more off ball movement, but also moving into his perimeter shooting, Tim, the numbers aren't great, but I gotta be honest. They're not as awful as I thought they would be. Uh, I mean, raw percentage, 28.6, three pointers, not good, but the perimeter shooting grade, 42nd percentile is a C minus. I would have thought that'd be in the twenties. I have an explanation for that. So, as part of the, so so going into that grade are his three point shot making, which is an F seventh percentile, and then his three point shot creation, which looks at not his proficiency but his 
tendency to create his own threes, he's in the 78th percentile. He gets a B plus grade there at something that like is a small piece of that overall, but it's there. And so that gives him a little bit of a boost. And then another thing we have to do with these grades is because we have guys like Rudy Gobert who don't shoot threes or Ben Simmons who are going to take like a three a year. Those players aren't going to have like they're not going to show up too far below average with our three point shot making. And we don't want their perimeter shooting grade to be way higher. Like if you're not taking shots, it's because you can't take these shots. So they get bumped down. The guys that get bumped up are dudes like THT who haven't been performing well, but they've done it on enough volume that like there's something going on. There's there's some three point shooting. If you were to filter THT's perimeter shooting talent grade against guys who like attempt at least like a three a game or something like that, it would look a little bit less favorable for him. So that that's the context that we try to explain in some of the write ups, but like it's not at face value. It's harder to to see, and I need to do a better job of of making sure that's understood. But that is why you know it, that forty second percentile is a little bit higher than we expected. And like you said, in reality, he's probably among players who do attempt threes, probably around like the, in the twenties, something yeah. like that percentile. Okay, so it is bad. Um, just it, it just is, checking. Yeah. Just checking. <laughs> Your eye yeah. test was correct. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, anything else about his de- his offense before we just quickly check on his defense? Uh, I do want to say, so <laughs> his very low volume post play has been good. That's why, for whatever reason, his, his post play, yeah, that's why that showed up as a top talent area. I need to, w- w- I'm going to change the efficiencies yeah. to stabilized efficiencies where we like pump in some some average possessions to help with the wonky small sample really good or really bad performance that's going to make these a little take some of those small sample edge cases out of there that's next on my to-do list actually um yeah i offensively i don't have a whole else a whole lot else to add his overall offensive impact has been a d a d minus and a d minus by offensive lebron offensive raptor and offensive rpm so He's been a below average guy, but we do see the upside with that really good fastball that he has. I think if you do improve the guys he's playing with, we can see him be a little bit better offensively. But again, that's going to come down to his defense. And one thing I brought up uh, a while back was him not getting fouls called Mm. like his drive foul drawn rate is a D 29th percentile. Only 4% of the time on his drives does he get a foul drawn, which seems insane. Again, we mentioned like he's so good at kind of getting around guys and and just, you know, maneuvering his body out of contact. But still, 4% is wildly low for how good and how much he gets there. Yeah, some of that is probably the I think I, I think we talked about this a couple of pods ago, like the the fact that he has that one hand and he's going to get there and it might look unconventional and look out of control even when it's not g- takes the benefit of the doubt away from him at, at times. But yeah, four percent is, is just crazy, crazy low compared to where I would expect it to be. But his his contact finish rate is uh, 96th percentile. So when he does get those fouls called, he's turning a lot of them into and ones, which might be why. That sounds even more surprising because we do see him get a bunch of and ones, you know, just because it's it's a high proportion of the fouls he does draw. All right, my man, take me through his defense. What stands out to you? I mean, he's got pretty good numbers in the perimeter defense overall, like the 97th pickpocket rating. Uh, that sounds right. Like the dudes at the hands, you see him just reach in and take the ball away sometimes. But that's not like being a good defender per se. Yeah, it's activity. 
he that 97th percentile pickpocket rating, 72nd percentile passing lane defensive rating. Like he's he's causing deflections, he's causing turnovers that results in runouts. That's good and positive. And his on ball defense, I think, has been pretty good. It's n- not elite yet, but it's it's I think it's above average right now. If I had to like Tim come up with a grade for THT's on ball defense, probably like a, a B minus. And I think that's like he's been pretty good, maybe a B. Um, okay. it's the off ball defense that isn't quite captured with these numbers that we're looking at where he struggles. And we see this on film and you see it more on the film than watching the games live where Uh he's missing a rotation or we see the two guys closing out to one offensive player. (laughs) Like that is the, that's the part of his game that like is going to trick some of the algorithms that are trying to evaluate defense based off of like box score numbers. Um, Cause again, that's it's missed in those, but that is what's keeping him off the court with some of those higher caliber players and what is resulting in his uh, defensive impact being lower than it potentially could. If, if he cleans up those piece of his, that piece of his game, which I don't think is going to happen this year, it's that kind of growth. I'm not going to set that sort of expectation for him. If a year from now, he kind of like Kyle Kuzma where, where he went from like bad with that stuff to just like doing the, just the normal things really well. That plus THT's natural ability on ball as a defender mean that he and his defensive impacts have tons and tons of potential. So he might be a guy that a year from now has a little bit more refined offensive game. His offensive impacts around average, but his defensive impact, if he cleans up this off ball defense, could be top five, top 10 percent in the league. So that's, I think, the the path forward for him. And then he slowly builds on that offensive game and that strong fastball he has and adds his changeup, adds his curveball, whatever. But it's that off-ball defense that's really holding him back. But it's very, very fixable long-term. And really strong numbers for a guard in the interior defense. You know, 74th percentile in rim deterrence, which is great. Percentage of rim shots contested. You know, only 57%, but I feel like for a guard, that's... That, that that's a solid number to be 94th percentile block rate on contests 80th percentile blocks per 75 possessions so a lot of these things like using his physical skills uh i think he'll only get better at recognizing opportunities to get blocks and steals and and you learn you know what you can and can't get away with and do uh in some of those weak side rotations and and yeah not just like chasing squirrels is honestly how i would define tht's off ball defense yeah, it's kind of where Brandon Ingram's defense was and kind of still is. So I think that's like the low end outcome of like he didn't have it and he kind of stays not having it. But then there are guys like Kuzma who weren't doing well and have figured it out and are much better defenders. If he can clean that up, tons tons and tons of potential. But I really like that you called out the interior defense because this is something that that length that he has, it shows yeah. up. This is one of those many areas where it shows up and – he as a backline defender, LeBron as a backline defender, Wes Matthews a little bit as a backline defender. Um, we've seen, I think, like Schroeder packed a guy at one point. Like, so we have some dudes that, like, surprisingly, just like, you know, this isn't what we were expecting, but like, as like a not a primary, not as a secondary, but as like a tertiary help defender at the rim, have done a pretty good job. Um, and I, I think that's that might save you a point or two every game or two, and that matters a bunch. So, sh- shouts to him for being good with that. And, rotating to be in position to do that sort of thing at the rim all right and we'll do more here quickly tim um he's 
you know, it's not looking great on his numbers. He struggled this year on uh, first thing. I generally think to look at for Marquise is this perimeter shooting uh, 32.2% from three overall uh, his corner three percent's good. 70 percentile there, uh, 42.4%, but above the break three, 25.9% um, catch and shoot threes, 33.8, which is okay. It's, you know, C minus, but his, his gravity is starting to wane. And and if you're not at least drawing the defense and you're not making shots, then it becomes a real problem to play you on offense. You know what I mean? Um, we saw some more post play from him, I think, in the last couple games, like when Braun was out, especially when Schroeder was out. Um, and his post numbers are actually in line, you know, with the other post guys on the team, surprisingly. Um, so I don't know. What's your takeaway? Do you still believe in Keefe as that small ball five flat? Like just keep him engaged through the season and in the playoffs, he'll he'll make a bigger difference kind of guy. Yeah, I look at a couple things defensively his versatility has actually been fairly high already it's an a minus so i don't look at that and say he's in hibernation mode the the which was the verbiage i used with ad so i don't expect to see a huge jump but his importance will go up certainly in the playoffs when the team is switching more so that is that's something that we haven't seen f- the full form of his potential impact. And if his, if he's not there with it physically or not executing or like isn't hitting his shots and can't stay on the, fo- the floor, that is going to be a piece of last year's playoff run that we have questions about this time around. And that's going to make Trez's defense as more, a more mobile big even more important. So it's the versatility, the, the switching, which I think you mentioned we'll probably see the Lakers use a little bit more the rest of the season. I'd, l- I'd love to see a stretch of games where we try some zones out. I'd love to str- see a stretch of games where we switch a little bit more and figure out some of that, some of the, the little granular pieces of that and work on the mechanics there. His perimeter shooting offensively is is the big piece with him. His shot quality has been okay. It's a lot of catch and shoot. It's a decent amount of corner threes. He's been underperforming with that. It's a big, big piece of his game. His three-point attempt rate, the percentage of his shots that are threes, is higher than 89% of players. So it's a huge piece of his game, and we know that from that one stat. And because he's underperforming F three-point shot making, that is he's not giving us what we need. So if he can get just back up to just average there, slightly above average, and he's been decent in the past. So this isn't asking for something he can't do. If he can just return to old form and he's got several dozen games to get there, I feel okay about Keith. But right now, if we were starting the playoffs today, instead of starting the second half of the regular season today, I I would be a little bit worried given what he's shown the team so far. Yeah, I'm, I am slightly worried um this is kind of funny looking at his uh roll gravity right he is zero percent roll 40 47 pop 53 slip uh i mean that's just you know what he's, he's expected to do um he's getting good contested offensive rebound percentage 88th percentile so he's he's trying he's working in the ways that those guys on the margins are are have been asked to work to to get volleyball taps out to to get offensive rebounds put back impact per 75 possessions is 86 percentile so there's stuff here that's good that that helps the team but um man yeah there's not a consistent uh 
three-point shot maker on the Lakers bench right now. And I really, really, like, we really kind of need it to be Keith in some of the, like, best lineups that we can put out, uh, in theory, in the playoffs right now with AD yeah. at that five. Yeah, I agree. Don't have much to add there. I think with Keith, same with Wes, it's pretty simple. There are a couple things they need to be good at. They have time, but if they don't improve – it's it's hard to play them or Keith might be a guy you do play because of the mobility defensively and you just live with his offensive game hurting you but like you said he, he is hustling he's showing like loose ball recovery rate looks good the putbacks look good he's doing some of those little things it's clear that he is trying he's not just going through the motions but the performance the the, the shot making is the big piece for him either that's there and he's looking good or that's not it that doesn't return and he doesn't look as he good as good as he did last season in the playoffs and his defensive matchups are all over the place with him mostly guarding stationary shooters, actually, which I you know fully expect will change come the playoffs and with the Lakers switching more. Um, yeah, Keith, uh, I'm holding out for you. Also, you know, OK to solid defensive rebounding numbers, but um, the shot making is, is kind of where he lives and dies. Uh, the efforts there, so I don't want to hear anybody say that these guys are are leg, you know, dead tired and and they need a break. Yeah, it might be true, but they're fighting through it. Uh, so we, hopefully, with a little break comes comes those shooting legs, man. Agreed. Yeah. And uh, I don't know. I don't think uh, Jared Dudley warrants discussion. I put you on hold on ice until uh, this pod to give your Damon Jones points. So uh, open up the floor there. Damian Jones, excuse me. I've, I've said done that a few times this week, Damian Jones. So, yeah, hit, hit me with your Damian Jones takes, my guy. Well, so Damian Jones, he well, let me let me, you know, just prepare myself. I gotta shake it out. His <laughs> role man impact. Past three seasons, 97th, 98th, 99th percentile. We don't have a lob role man in Gasol or in Keefe or in Trez. None of those guys. He's somebody that can do that. His post-up impact doesn't need to be a big piece of his game, but 90th percentile, 86th percentile, 81st percentile past three years. In the past two seasons, he has a gold post-move lockdown badge, good post defender, and a bronze intimidator badge, the you know deterring guys from taking shots, something we just talked about Trez and Gasol not being good at. So that's that's we know that's there in his what, like 15 games so far this season. He's averaging like two and a half blocks and five point three or so three point uh, contests per 75 possessions on defense. There are only two players total between this season and last season that have matched those marks. So he's defending the inside and the outside. That shows some mobility there. That is not something really anybody else can say. And it hasn't been on hot volume, so those numbers may dip a bit. But from what we've seen, he's done a hell of a job being all over the place defensively. And he's shown on film and in some data, he's very mobile defending in ball screens, or he's been used in very mobile ways. So I think that fits in with what the Lakers want to do from a catch-edge standpoint. He's a guy that you can put in drop coverage. He's a guy that has been successful from a blitzing standpoint, from a show-and-recover standpoint, uh, even in some switching he's been able to do. So I think there's a potential there with him that you might not have with some of the other bigs on the roster where he's going to give you some of that interior defense while also having the finishing at the rim. He's got a little bit of that post play in the bag. He's got that post defense. He's good on the boards. I don't know. I mean, it's worth a shot. He's got his second 10 day. We're going to get another chance to look at him tonight with Gasol out. 
And I would love to see him show out because when we talk about a buyout big man, you're probably looking for a rim protector that can be a good finisher at the rim that is, you know, going to be a low usage offensive guy that just is like a garbage man. And he does all of those things. So even with a couple extra things in the bag from a versatility standpoint. So I see him being an important piece to this team potentially. And the fact that he's like 25 at his size with his skill set, if you can cultivate that and keep this guy around long term, like this is this could be another Caruso that you uh, get into the system, get with his coaching staff, get with Phil Handy working on some of these things and improve this dude. And, and he could be around for longer term. So I'm excited. It might not work out, but he's shown enough in the small sample so far to tell me that there is potential there. And I have good confidence that the Lakers will be able to evaluate that. And then if they move on, they'll move on. But he might be who we're looking for. And I'm excited to see him over this next week or so. This is a huge week for him, especially if Gasol continues to be in the COVID protocols. This is his chance to really make an impact. We've seen THT's had those chances this season from from the guard position and not quite capitalize. This is Damian Jones' time to get a chance to see if he can – make the Lakers team have to bring him back again and and sign him on for the rest of the season. And if so, th- there's potential there. So I'm a big fan and <laughs> that's a based on a small sample. So it might change, but uh, I'm excited about what he could be. I mean, so much about developing in this league as young players of different skill sets is being put in a position where you're asked to do what you're good at and and not forced to do what you're not great at yet until like they, you don't want to put a guy in a spot where he has to get beat over and over and over again because he's not good at something and they know that he's not good at something but they need him to outperform or overperform right mm-hmm. and so i feel like that really um like it's it may not be measurable on how we, you know, we talk about uh, guys just landing in tough spots. And I think that's part of it is not being able to put in a position to just at least do what you're good at and, and not be expected to do what you're not. And we talk about it all the time from Caruso to THT. What do we say on this pod? Like every time he's good at what he's good at. Yep. And the Lakers have built their team around guys with specific skill sets and overall have found, really great ways to use them in only these ways and then drop the rest of the stuff by the wayside. And at the very least, I will say Damian Jones is good at what he's good at and what he's good at is what the Lakers need. Um, yeah, at least in the regular season to eat up minutes while AD and Gasol are missing. It still gives them that functional role that's similar to, to help them tread water at that position while is he going to factor in the playoffs? I don't know. Probably not. And we shouldn't really expect him to. But if you see him getting lobs over the top or blocking shots at the rim, it's because he's put in the position where that's what he's good at. And the Lakers will build around him in that sense and ask him to be yeah. who he is and not, you know, a, a prospect who could be more someday. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's a great way to frame it. And I wouldn't want to put too high of expectations. I think the skill set is is there and they got to put him in the position mm-hmm. to succeed. But even then, it, it just might not it might not work out this year. And that's OK. He's a very he's a young guy. He could be our JaVale. Like he could be that regular season minutes eater that blocks shots and is a lob threat, can play some drop coverage. And that has value. And so just that on its own, if you just 
he falls into your lap because the Suns cut him, that's really valuable. And for a guy who offensively is very much like a finisher, and we look at that contextual lineup data again, the lineups he's been playing with in Phoenix haven't been the highest of caliber lineups. Uh, 35th percentile penetration ability of those lineups and 11th percentile scoring gravity. That doesn't scream to me, hey, they were able to like, you know, cut through the defense, like butter, get to the rim and then feed him some high quality looks. That's that's not the situation where he would succeed. But when you look at those numbers compared to every other Laker player, there isn't a Laker player on this team that's had a lower scoring gravity in the lineups they've played with than what Damian Jones has experienced so far this season. There isn't a Laker big man on this roster that has played anywhere close to as low of penetration uh, numbers with the guys around them as Damian Jones has had to deal with so far this year. There isn't a Laker player, a Laker big man or wing that's had the, the uh, as low finishing as Jones has had to deal with so far this year. The playmaking he's dealt with is below average. So all of those factors with his skill set make some sense for, why, for, for, to me, for saying why he maybe didn't pop, maybe didn't take full advantage of his skill set. But on this team, with some playmaking, with some penetration ability, with some scoring gravity of the guys around him, that's the right situation for a young guy who can be just a finisher um, and fit in offensively. Like him, you don't need to learn a super complex playbook. The Lakers run a pretty simple playbook. If he can execute, set good screens, finish lobs, block shots, he's got a chance. That's all I'm going to say. I I mean, I can't say that because I just spoke for 10 minutes about him, but... I like it. I like it. The the numbers, the stars, I they seem to be aligning. I'm excited. This might suck. This might be my next Ian Clark, but <laughs> it, it, I, I'm excited about it. Oh, man. And with that, this concludes our three hours on the entire Lakers roster uh, midseason review using the B-Ball Index uh, data player profiles. Yeah. And if you want to dig into this stuff for yourselves, we just we've spoken for like 90 minutes right here. If you want to dig in and waste hours of your life as well, you can do that. And we're going to give you some special promo codes. This is just for fans of the pod. Exceptionalism 10. If you if you go buy our data and tools package, which is package, which is five bucks normally a month, um, or you can get it for 52 bucks and 50 cents a year. You can get 10% off an annual subscription. So Celtics fans, they're going to pay that $52.50. You'll pay $47.25, which is about 4 bucks a month. Or if you want to give it a try for a month, use Exceptionalism50 at checkout, and you'll get 50% off your first monthly subscription. So you'll pay $2.50 for 30 days of access. And go explore everything we have to offer. If you don't like it, you just spent $2.50. And you can go tell me I'm a fool on Twitter. My DMs are open. But if you do like it, <laughs> then go cash in on that 10% off or afterwards. Use both of them. Save yourself a bunch of money and, and go enjoy all these these uh, the data and tools that we're talking about. All this stuff updating daily. It's very, very high quality stuff that uh, we're excited to bring to you. And we have a big, long laundry list of to-do items that are upcoming that we'll be releasing soon as well. So, you know, from last pod to this pod, we've added two whole pages that are updating daily. We have probably another couple that'll be up by next week. So. Go check that out, uh, bball-index.com. DM me if you have any questions. I'd be happy to chat some more. Yeah, man, absolutely. And go follow us on twitch.tv slash Lakers Exceptionalism Pod. I know we haven't streamed in a while. We will be back uh, hopefully early next week. We promise we'll jump back into it as we ourselves took a little bit of a break here at the All-Star Game. Follow us. Come at us. Get in our uh, mentions on Twitter and uh, hit us up to learn how about how to join the discord and uh, until next time we'll talk to you guys later 
Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.